Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. and Once again, we ask that you would work in our hearts, instruct us from your word, and give us grace to be your servants in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be outlined there, and if you need one, wave your hand. If we've given them all out, we'll print some more off. And uh, we are, boy, it just seems like it's been forever since we've been in our series on Theology, and uh, we're going to start a new section. And by the way, we are uh, not doing a systematic or exhaustive theology. That would require a year of lessons on each subject. And so far, we've moved through Christology, the doctrine of Christ, theology proper, the doctrine of God the Father, pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, Bibliology, the doctrine of uh, the Bible, and now we're moving to ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, um, the uh, note there, you can take time to, to read that. It's just a summary, basically, but um, there are countless denominations, uh, we're not, I'm not going to take time to go through the encyclopedia and try to count them for you. Uh, I imagine somebody has done so. But every time somebody meets uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, has a Bible there, uh, they claim to be the church. I, I've met people I meet uh, in the church of God in nature. Uh, I take my Bible up in my tree stand when I'm hunting deer and and I've met people like that, and and uh, uh, I don't uh, necessarily recommend that, especially if you're high up in a tree stand. You don't want to fall out. Amen? Uh, you need to pay attention to what you are doing. Um, but uh, I've had people uh, say, yeah, where two or three gather in his name, there am I in the midst. That's not talking about a church. A church is, the word means a called out assembly. That's why in your Bible it says the church in the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, let me ask you a question. What called out assembly was that referring to? The nation of Israel. You see... That's why we want to be specific about which church we're talking about. Amen? Uh, The uh, Roman Catholic Church, if you'll listen to anything they say, and I'm not saying that everything they say is wrong, uh, but they claim uh, an unbroken succession of popes. They go from the Apostle Peter Uh, whom they claim that Jesus gave all the power and authority that belonged to him, to Peter, and that unbroken succession comes right down today to uh, whatever his name is in the Vatican City, which just escapes me right now. And I think it's Francis or something like that. Um, But the only question I've had and have raised here is, we have this thing called the Roman Empire up until 300 A.D., 
And uh, they had several waves of persecution. And if someone actually stood up and identified himself as in charge of all the Christian churches, where was he going? Uh, In the Colosseum, he was going to be lion food. And, And I mean immediately, unless Nero was around, then there were other horrible things that happened. And so the idea that somebody was prancing around giving all the church's orders directly from Jesus Christ is rather ludicrous. And yet people make all of these claims. In the 1830s, uh, I did a little research. Uh, I don't know if you've ever driven through town or there's a couple of them, even uh, down Long Island City, I think there's one. And, And the title over the door will be, Church of Christ. Now, how could you have a better name for a church than Church of Christ? I mean, in fact, I had someone of that denomination tell me, you see there in in Paul's letters, it says, the churches of Christ salute you. That's talking about our church. And I laughed out loud. I said, there's only one problem with that. I said, what's that? I said, there was no identifiable group called the Churches of Christ until the 1830s. So we just got a little time lapse there. Uh, And so no one would put a sign over their door, First Church of the Best That We Can Do. Because would you go to that kind of church? I would hope not. Every group claims to be... The true church. When the Protestants came along, it's interesting that they all claimed that the true church had so corrupted itself by the 1530s that God had specifically reached down to them individually in their countries, in their districts, and had given them the command to basically restart the church. Now, Martin Luther, John Knox... Uh, Zwingli, John Calvin uh, were some of the main Protestant reformers. None of these men had any intention of ever leaving the Catholic Church. In fact, none of them repudiated their Catholic baptism uh, that was given to them while they were infants as they were sprinkled with water or immersed, depending on whichever church. They were still arguing about that in the 1550s. And most Protestant churches have carried on that uh, symbol uh, of baptism from the Roman Catholic Church right into theirs. And here's how you can tell the difference between a Protestant and a non-Protestant church. There is a fellow named Balthasar Hubemeyer lived in the 1530s, 40s, and uh, incredible man, had a ministry that lasted five years. From the time he stopped being a Catholic, he repudiated his baptism, he found a Baptist preacher, an Anabaptist preacher, and was baptized and became an Anabaptist preacher meaning that he rejected infant baptism. And it was a matter of five years before the authorities caught him and put him to death for his doctrinal belief. 
And they claim that somewhere around 200,000 people trusted the Lord in that five-year ministry as he preached the word. You see, Hubemeyer was not a Protestant. He repudiated his Catholic baptism and got Baptist baptism. That made him something different. And that's one of the ways we tell the difference between Protestants, because you'll meet some Baptists that will claim that they're Protestants, and and maybe they are. Uh, I'm not going to argue with them, but I'm not a Protestant Baptist. We have never and never will accept Catholic baptism as scriptural because it doesn't fulfill biblical requirements. We'll get to that in a little bit. And so while everybody argues and says, my religion is this, we do not want to just chirp in and add to the confusion by saying, we're the only ones that are right. Because truth does not rest with us. You see, this book was around, was finished, 200 years before the first Catholic emperor, Constantine, the founder of what is now the Orthodox Church. This book was around centuries before any of the Reformers and the Protestants came into being. And by the way, there was a fellow named Jesus. And he had a few things to say about his church, because remember, all of these people claim that their church is Jesus' church. And so, what we want to do is not just sit down and argue about starting dates and founders, etc. We want to just start with the Bible, and then all of a sudden, It becomes very simple to tell the difference between all of the different churches and which one actually belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, As a young man, I was raised, my family, we uh, were brought up in what was called at that time a non-denominational church. They said, we don't identify with any denomination. We're non-denominational which actually is a denomination, because a denomination is just simply a name by which you call yourself. It is a way to define or identify. And so you say, I'm unidentifiable. Well, you just gave yourself a name. Um, you, you have some way of identifying yourselves. And there are such a thing as independent churches, and that complicates it. And we'll get into that a little bit further. But just for the sake of record and clarity, our church, Open Door Bible Baptist Church, is an independent. We have no hierarchy, no authority over us. I remember one year, uh, several years ago, someone said, I want to talk to your boss. They didn't like the way things were doing. And I said, well, um, let's see, how do we do this? I said, well, maybe, uh, well, why don't we just go up to the altar and pray? And they thought I was being smart aleck with them. And maybe I was just a little. 
but simply the truth is our church answers directly to Jesus Christ. There is no authority. Say, I want to see your headquarters. Say, well, my office is over there, but I don't think that's really what you want. And later in the conference, he says, I want to talk to Dr. Clayton. He's the guy that trained you. And and I said, well, you can talk to Brother Clayton, but uh, it's Cleveland Baptist Church and Pastor Folger that ordained me. And if you want to, uh, uh, if if you think somehow I've done something that you want to bring charges up, I said, uh, go right ahead and give him a call. But I know what the answer is going to be. Because I know what we're doing is what they ordained me to do. You see, we are an independent Baptist church. Historically, we had to be identified as a separatist church. Meaning that we don't join up with everybody. We believe in separating. We separate even from other types of Baptist churches. And the reason we separate from them is because of what this book called the Bible says. We want to be as simple and as biblical as we can. Getting back to I was raised in a non-denominational church. I was a second year student in Bible college actually and I began to look at some things and and study out uh, many of the things that I'm going to be going over tonight. And, and uh, uh, I basically came up with this statement here, was I didn't have a right to start a new church if Jesus had already started his church. I wanted to join his church. And I was actually baptized as a sophomore in Bible college into the Fellowship of the Grace Bible Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, because I wanted to be scripturally baptized in the church I grew up in with the pastor that uh, we had when I was a teenager, I'd gotten saved after I got baptized. You know what? It doesn't work that way. And if I'm going to expect people to do right... Shouldn't I do right? Well, my problem was ignorance. Praise God, I had a good pastor. Uh, I did not learn this necessarily in Bible college as much as I did in church. And that's what we are trying to be. You see, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And I know this is familiar territory as been most of what we have covered in our uh, series here on theology. But do you realize that there have been wars fought over the definition of a church? That one church has actually raised an army and went out and fought another church because they disagreed and, and they wanted that one church to join them and, and all kinds of horrible things have been done. And yet here we come to Matthew chapter 16. Let's just start reading verse 13. It says, when Jesus came, into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, it's interesting that Jesus started the discussion of his church. We'll get to that in verses 17 down here in 18. 
he started the discussion of the church with who he is. Because you cannot separate the person of Christ from his church. We're going to look up some other verses. The church is his body. That's, that's what the Bible says. How does that work? Well, hopefully we'll be able to explain that somewhat uh, as best as we can. But the discussion starts with the identity of Jesus Christ. You see, there are many organizations that call themselves churches that have all kinds of interesting things to say about who Jesus is. In fact, we had some people knock at the door today, wasn't it today? And uh, they had their little note pads and their little ID badges. And, and uh, they say, we're, we're coming around here and, and we'd like to talk to you about uh, what your church believes and all of this. And I said, uh, let me see that notebook there. Sure enough, it had big, long title, The Church of Jesus Christ um, of the Unification of All Families or something like that. And I said, you freaks, get out of here. And they looked at me. I said, get out of here. I said, we're not going to put up with any of this foolishness. And uh, I said, there are no words clean or profane in the English language that properly describe the doctrine of Sung Young Moon. I said, and take you and your Mooniism and get out of here. You say, why, do you, why are you mean to them? Well, you see, they believe that persecution like Jehovah's Witnesses helps them in their religion, so we're going to help them a little. No. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is, Sun Young Moon believes that Jesus Christ appeared to him three different times begging him to fix the problems and the mistakes that he made during his earthly ministry. And, of course, he waited from 33 A.D. when he ascended into heaven. We'll just use that date for, for, for simplicity. All the way up into the 1940s or 50s when Sun Young Moon, I mean... Jesus was just sitting there twiddling his thumb for all those centuries because Sung Young Moon hadn't been born yet. I mean, that stuff aggravates the fire out of me. I'm sorry. You see, if they say that Jesus made a mistake and it took an idiot that can't even do his income taxes to figure it all out, Sung Young Moon spent several years in prison for income tax evasion. What does that say about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is? It says some pretty horrible things, does it not? You see, Peter answered the question, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, because that's who Jesus is. And I often... Try to bring this point up, not every church, but the Orthodox Church as an organization was still arguing about who Jesus was at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. They finally settled it and made a distinctive doctrinal statement recorded in history that Jesus is the very God of gods, the very essence of the Father in human flesh. That is correct. But as an organization, they were still arguing about it in 451. 
How can that be Jesus' church when they don't even know who he is? They're still arguing about it. 320 years after he ascended into heaven. That tells me there's something really wrong with that organization. And I don't have to get out their doctrinal statement and go through it list for list and find every error that's in it. If they don't know who Jesus is, they certainly cannot be his church. It's just that simple. Here's what Jesus said. He said, and I say unto thee, in verse 18... And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I want you to listen to and look up this way. I'm going to try to quote that verse uh, word for word, not make any mistakes. But I want you to see, because this is the best way I've come. I've, I've heard preachers explain it in the original Greek and explain it in English. But here's the simplest thing. He says, Behold, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. You see how simple that is? Because if Peter were the rock, he would say, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, that's the way the Catholic Church has interpreted that verse. You say, why do you do it differently? Because Peter said that Christ was the chief cornerstone, not him. Uh, The Apostle Paul said, No foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus said... That he was the rock disallowed of the builders, but chosen of God and precious. And he said, upon whom this rock, whoever shall fall upon this rock shall be broken. But upon whom this rock will fall, it will grind him to powder. And the Pharisees perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. I wonder whatever gave him that idea. The simple truth was he, they understood exactly What Jesus was claiming to be. And who he was. Jesus is the founder. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now let me tell you something. I believe in passing out tracts. And I believe in witnessing all that we can to every person who will listen to us. And uh, the only way we can know whether they're going to listen or not is to give it to them anyway. Amen? And so you keep giving the gospel until someone says, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Um, But when someone comes and they get saved and they become a member of the church, I'm not the one that saves them. Jesus is. And we talk to them about after they're saved, of their need and their willingness to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism is. And in that way, 
I'm not building the church. Jesus is doing the work to save souls and make them want to become a part. I mean, we could take some testimonies tonight, but how many of you, first time you came in this church, thought, what a weird place. Maybe you didn't use that word, but these people really, you know, I've had people say, you guys are just crazy about the Bible there. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a compliment. Uh, we like that. Because this is the only book that God has given us. And we're trying to follow it. And Jesus is the founder. Jesus is the builder. That's one of the reasons why we preach that the church did not start on the day of Pentecost. And of course, you read the words of your Bible. And it says, and there were added to them. Meaning that there was already a church functioning about 120 people, uh, they, uh, they had already had their uh, business meeting. They had already conducted themselves. They were already identified with Jesus Christ. There was a church operating. It was empowered on the day of Pentecost. You say, why do you make a big deal about that? Well, when a guy named Joseph Smith comes along in the 1830s, 20s, somewhere around there, and says that the church has all been corrupted and he's come to start a brand new church, I got a problem with that. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. So, did he come back? Well, that's what Joseph Smith claims. But when he comes back, the Bible's very clear, he's going to take his church out. And so, therefore, we don't believe that Joseph Smith is the founder of anything than what we would classify as a cult or a false church. Because Jesus has to be the founder. Amen? He is the one that builds it. The Bible says that he is the head of that church. And read Ephesians one twenty two, Colossians one eighteen. Um, is that one eighteen or two eighteen? One eighteen, one twenty two of Ephesians. It says, "And he is the head of the body." Now, the church is his body. Now, this is where we have a lot of problems. People say, "Okay, we have." Christ being the head of the church, understand that, that makes perfect sense. But do we have this one head with thousands of little bodies hanging off of it? And I said, where in the world did you come up? Well, if each church is a complete body and there's only one head, which is Christ, uh, then that's the picture that they painted in their mind because they wanted a picture of One single body of Christ that spread out through all ages and all over the whole world. It's known as the universal church. By the way, uh, the word Catholic, the reason they call it Catholic church, is the Latin word for universal. Uh, They were claiming to be the universal church. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Can there be a universal anything? How many have seen, or some of our Filipino people, the Catholic Church in the Philippines is a lot different than the Catholic Church in the United States now, isn't it? I mean, you go out of the big cities and into the little barrios and up in the mountains, man, that guy is God. Uh, the same way in the mountains of Mexico, I've been told by those that are there. Uh, you go to Europe, and the Catholic Church is basically a museum. Uh, they all answer to the guy at Rome, but they argue with him and complain about him. And, and uh, actually, they uh, vote their own people, vote one of their own number into into that office. But the Catholic Church is no more universal than anything else. You see, the Bible explains the church. It uses the picture of a body. Now, that's something that each one of us has. You know what the nice thing about your body is? All of its pieces are attached. Unless you've had surgery like Stephen, and then part of his is in the lab somewhere at the hospital, or they burned it. They took his appendix out a little while ago. Uh, That part is missing. But... The rest of his body's all attached, and it's here. What happens if your body does not stay attached, all the members stay attached? Uh, we call it an autopsy. Right? When you die, and they don't know how you died, they, not to get gory or sick here, but they take your body and they cut it up and they do tests on certain parts of it because they want to find out Why? Your body died. But if your body is alive, all of the pieces are connected. And guess what? It usually is best if they follow the direction that your head gives it. Your brain controls everything that your body does. Isn't it true? I mean, we we walked up a lot of hills the last three days. And, you know, I'm glad that I didn't have to think about this is a steep hill. Heart, start beating faster. Uh, Lungs, start breathing deeper. Otherwise, you're going to pass out and faint on the side of the mountain here. And that would not be good in very cold weather. All those things happen automatically. Why? Because God put your body together right. And by the way, you have many different types of tissue in your body. The brain tissue and nerve tissue is very different than muscle tissue. Now, I know we got some people we call muscle heads, but that's just a joke. It really doesn't uh, imply because there's different tissue there. There's a completely different composition. And all of the functions, your liver performs 500 separate identifiable chemical functions every day to maintain life. That doesn't count what your thyroid does. That doesn't count all the other things that have to happen. Every time you breathe in, your lungs are straining the oxygen out of the air and putting it into your bloodstream. In fact, there was a a series of uh, science videos put out by Moody Bible Institute in the 50s and 60s. 
And uh, one of the things that uh, I remember from just watching those with the kids was the shape of your red blood cell, the red corpuscle in, in your blood is the most perfect shape for transferring oxygen from the lungs. If it were in any other shape, it would be highly inefficient. And that's part of the problem with sickle cell anemia is it changes shapes. And your blood uh, cells cannot perform the job unless they were in the shape that God designed them to be. Now, you tell me how that happened by chance. And I'll believe evolution. But you can't. The simple truth is, the body explains the church. You know what? We have all kinds of different people who are members of our church. Do you realize... That a huge part of your body, all it does is show up. I mean, I mean, every part of your body's got specific things and you'd be in big trouble if you didn't have all of it. But just stop and think of, I mean, we use our hands a lot and we use our arms and our feet and our legs. But there's all kinds of parts of our body that we just cover up and keep. I mean, the Bible says beautiful are the feet of those that carry the gospel, but I will always wear closed toe shoes. Uh, I'm not going to go sandals in the pulpit. Uh, listen, I just want to spare the world. Amen? God has a different view of beautiful than we do. The church is different people from all different backgrounds that come together and are connected. And you know what? We take our instruction from one source. Not the pastor. Because I tell you to go home and check out what I say and make sure that it's in the Bible. Amen? My job is just to teach you what the Bible says. And then together, we're supposed to do what the Bible says. It's uh, uh, As far as efficiency is concerned, it may not be very efficient, but I'll tell you what. I praise the Lord for what this body has done for missions in the past year. And looking forward to what we're going to do with missions. If the offerings will keep up, As they have since our missions conference, this looks to be one of the biggest increases in our missions giving in our history of our church. That's good news. Because there's lots of things that need to be done. And there are no really rich people in our church that are just giving huge amounts of income. It's a lot of people doing a little bit. Does that sound like a body working to you? It does to me. That's, that's the way the church is supposed to work. And Jesus said that it was. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. The way that uh, they built in those days 
was you would set the cornerstone and every measurement was taken from the cornerstone. And you know what? They built the Great Pyramid in Giza with less um, geometric distortion than the Empire State Building. It's not a bad way to build. By the way, you're not supposed to take your measurement from me. You're not supposed to take your measurement from the person sitting beside you. You're not supposed to say, well, that person is a good Christian. I'm not quite as good as they are, so I must be okay. Uh, No, no, no. We have to take our measurement from Jesus Christ. Then we all come up short. Might that have something to do with being poor in spirit? Amen. Which is the place, the beginning of all blessing in the Beatitudes. And so, Jesus loves His church, and we just spent uh, a sermon on this last uh, couple Sunday nights ago with, uh, with the uh, reception we had for Felix and, and Johanna. But Christ loves His church as a man loves his wife. A man should love his wife. In fact, if you want to learn how to be a husband... Read Ephesians chapter 5 and start doing those things that Jesus said that the church ought to do, that, that a man ought to do for his husband. Read the things that Jesus has done for his church, and, and it'll change your way of living. And, uh, and it ought to. This is how the church operates. How is the church supposed to work? Well... We can read the history of the early church right here in the pages of the Bible. Now, Acts chapter 15, Galatians chapter 2, they had a problem. I love the way historians rewrite history. The first church council with Jerusalem. Well, the reason why they do that is because there were many church councils started by a guy named Constantine... Because he was the emperor and he wanted to be in charge of his church. And so he held church councils. He got everybody in and, and uh, uh, in 321 they decided, at, uh, I think the council of, uh, of uh, Nicaea or, or one of those cities there in modern day Turkey. They decided that the church ought to worship on Sunday. Now, that's a good thing, but I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on the first day of the week that they were supposed to take an offering. Does that sound like a church service to you? Uh, what they were doing was there were people who certainly weren't following the biblical pattern that had been set up by Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a lot of churches that want to give up their Sunday night service, and I'm not going to argue with those guys, but... I'll tell you what, the first church service was Sunday night. Jesus appeared to the disciples. I don't want to give up Sunday night service. Now, they couldn't meet on Sunday morning because that was a work day. Sabbath was the rest in the Jewish community. Of course, the Romans never took a day off. Every, Every day was a work day. But... We worship on Sunday morning, 
because Jesus rose again from the dead on Sunday morning. We worship on Sunday night because that was the first service, and we worship on Thursday night because that works out for our church. Amen? We started on Thursday night and so that I could actually be in other churches and raising support on uh, because most churches have a Wednesday night service, and I just never wanted to change it. Uh, is it evil to meet on Thursday night and Wednesday night? Absolutely not. Uh, is it evil to meet? Uh, it, church could happen every day of the week. But we'll, we'll stick with, with what we have. And the church is directly responsible to the Word of God. They had an argument. Some guys came down from Jerusalem. They came to the church at Antioch. And they said, you've got to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Now, one might could understand where they get a little bit of that thought process because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Amen? Every law in the Old Testament, all 613 of them, according to the count, points you toward Jesus Christ. Well, they had an argument. And somebody says they went back to Jerusalem because that's where the apostles were. Could, could I offer you something that's much simpler? They went back to the church at Jerusalem is because that's the church the rascals that were causing all the problem were members from. How simple was that? You see, if you're going to deal with something and you have believe in local church authority, you go back to the church where they're from because that church has authority over that person that the church at Antioch could not properly deal with them because they weren't members of the church at Antioch. They stopped them from teaching. They said, you're not going to come and teach in our church, but just so this thing doesn't spread, we're going to deal with this thing and they went back to Jerusalem and they had uh, people giving testimonies and talking back and forth. And, and of course, the, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 15 and, and just read what the Bible says here. It says, um, uh, verse 13, it says, and after that, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the... What's the next word there? Prophets. He said, God gave revelation to Peter. Read Acts chapter 10. He sent Peter to the Gentiles... To bring a nation out of the gent, to bring a people out of the Gentiles who were saved, who were serving Christ in His church. And guess what? That's backed up by the Old Testament prophets. What's the final authority here? Is James saying, well, gentlemen, I'm going to give you my word on this. He says, no. He said, we got revelation from God through the apostle Peter. The Gentiles were to be saved. The Old Testament agrees with this. And since God didn't add anything in Acts chapter 10, all you have to do to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the final call to authority was? 
It was the Scripture. You see, that's why there's never been a Baptist council. Because the final authority is in Scripture. And you know what? We find that we have great agreement with a group of Baptist churches that stretch all over the country. And, and we work with many of them to support Heartland Baptist Bible College. And I go to the fellowship meetings uh, uh, of this group. Why? Because we agree on doctrine. We work together. It's a natural thing for us to want to work together. At the Home Missions Conference in Heartland, in three days, we can raise three-quarters of a million dollars total for church planning in the United States. Say, that's pretty cool. Amen? That's a wonderful thing. That's something that happens when God's churches work together. And let me get back to the body thing here. I've just got so many things running around my head, and I want to finish up here. You see, the Bible teaches, and we'll get to these verses in the coming weeks, that one day there will be assembled in heaven one church that will span the time from Jesus Christ's earthly ministry till he removes his church at an event we call the rapture. There's only one problem. Some of them are in heaven, and some people are on earth. God knows that one day we'll all be assembled together as one church. But until that day, he treats each individual church as if it were the only church that were in existence. Does that make sense? Each church is a complete representation, full-scale working model of that one church that will be assembled in heaven one day. The problem is we're not all there yet. And when we will, that church will operate just like this church is supposed to operate. Christ will be the head. The Bible says we will know as we are known. He won't have to preach and explain the Bible to us. He's going to put that knowledge in the soul of each one of us and we will automatically do exactly what Jesus wants us to do just as your body does what you tell it to do most of the time. Amen? And so we want to keep things simple. The Bible explains how the church ought to operate. It tells us the position. It's all about Jesus. It's not about preachers. It's not about baptisms. It's not about organizations. It's all about Jesus. And our church is directly responsible to Jesus Christ for what we do. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's how the first church operated. Two officers in the church. Read First Timothy chapter 3. Pastor, deacon, both male, no deaconesses. Were there ladies who served in the church? Yes. Would the Greek word for a servant of the church be deaconess? Yes. Did they have a specific office in the church as the men deacons did? No. So we reject that, just as we do female pastors. 
Because the Bible says that the pastor is supposed to be the husband of one wife. And the de- same for the deacon. Those are the re- requirements. There are two ordinances in the church. You have to be saved. And then you can follow the ordinances of the church. The first ordinance is baptism. The second ordinance is the Lord's Supper. Say, well, didn't Jesus wash the apostles' feet? Yes. But you find me a place in in, in the book of Acts where they had a church service washing each other's feet. And we'll make it an ordinance. But it's not there. It wasn't practiced as an ordinance. What it was practiced as was willful service from one member to another member. The lowest job was washing one another's feet. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to help one another. Not as commander-in-chief, not as a military hierarchy or a religious hierarchy, but as members one of another. You see, that's how the church works. And we take this biblical template and we put it up against what we have functioning in our neighborhood, we take it down to such and such a church, you know what? It doesn't match. We take it to the one beside it, it doesn't match. But we want this church to match the biblical template. And by the way, we didn't design our church. We're actually following things that were done Long before I was born. Uh, in fact, we're doing things as much like they did in the Bible as we possibly can. And by the way, that's the way Pastor Thompson pastored Cleveland Baptist Church. And his pastor pastored the Akron Baptist Temple. And that takes you back to about 1920 right there. Just three generations. Let me tell you something. Follow the Bible, and you'll find the right church. All God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we ask that you would work in our hearts and help us to understand these things. Help us to lay aside all of the misconceptions and things that we may have been programmed with as children and, well, in other churches. We ask you to help us to serve you faithfully and as biblically as possible. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish and say amen, we'll just have the...